and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's the first part of a two-part episode that I recorded on Sunday night in the United States, Monday afternoon uh, over here in Australia with Jared Weiss. Jared was at the Boston Celtics-Brooklyn Nets game that occurred on Sunday afternoon, and we wanted to do a deep dive into just the anatomy of what was a classic game uh, between two teams that are just so driven by star power at this point and so uh, interesting to discuss at this point because of how they match up. This is by far the highest profile first round series, and it is by far uh, the most interesting first round series, in my opinion. So we really wanted to do a deep dive into that. We went for like 45 minutes uh, and then, I will release part two of this podcast, which is a deep dive into all of the other series, at least to some extent, uh, on probably Tuesday morning United States time, just because uh, we went for like an hour and a half and it's worth kind of giving those other series a little bit of space to breathe. So here's the first part of this episode with Jared Weiss talking about an awesome, awesome, awesome Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics game, and where that series is going to go moving forward. Coming live from his room where he apparently develops photos, it's Jared Weiss. Jared was at the instant classic Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics, game one of the Eastern Conference first round, uh, I guess is what it's called. It's not really the quarterfinals. It's why not? Uh, why can't it be the quarterfinals? Is it the quarterfinals? It is. I guess it's quarterfinals. The next round's a semifinal. Well, the next round is a second round. It's not even the semifinals anymore, right? Yeah, I don't know what it's called. But regardless, we just got to see Chris Paul like literally put out one of his unbelievable masterpiece quarters. I, you were kind of stuck writing here, so I don't know if you got a chance to tune in for the fourth quarter, but Chris Paul just dropped like 19 points, including 15 on like six possessions. It was one of those impossible moments where you're like, this guy is 37 years old. I don't understand how he does this anymore. Um, it, the first games of the playoffs here have been absolutely incredible. We've had some blowouts for sure. And frankly, I didn't really think that New Orleans ever even really had a chance in that game against the Suns. There were a ton but, of sweet picks. Yeah, we still had, yeah, unsurprisingly, but we still had so many cool, fun moments from these game ones of these playoffs that I just wanted to talk about them. And there was no better person to have on than Jared, who was at the Celtics Brooklyn game earlier this afternoon and got to see one of, I mean, honestly, I think it was one of the best playoff games I've ever seen in my life. And I wanted to talk to you about that. And we'll talk about some other game one action that happened uh, later on. But I I just was so blown away by everything that was that Boston Brooklyn game from a spectacle perspective, from the Kyrie of it all to Jalen Brown having like a bloody nose and looking like a boxer uh, for the final two minutes of this game. And then, Oh, by the way, we had a buzzer beater. We had uh, Kyrie having like 39, six and five. We had Jason Tatum, like looking like the best player on planet earth for stretches of that game. It was everything that you could ask for 
from a playoff game. And I just need to talk about it with you because, oh my God, was that amazing? It's crazy that Kyrie Irving reached behind his head and flipped a double bird at the crowd. And that somehow isn't the biggest story on the night. Because no. <laughs> that was that, That's how you know this game was amazing. It was. I, I'm not he, even sure if it was like top three. I mean, you know, the yeah. defense on Kevin Durant that the Celtics pulled off was pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, there were a couple times it looked like he was going to get going, but he never quite got all the way there. He still had a good game just because yeah. the way that he passed out of the – the way the Celtics <laughs> were doubling him, he you know, still his gravity was enormous. But, uh, yeah, the Celtics – it's funny because Kyrie actually made a point in his press conference about how it was, you know, we lost on a buzzer beater and we're down here talking about uh, what was the word he was rallying against? Um, uh, there was vitriol or I forget. There, there's a word that uh, Nick Friedle and a few other people were using about like the hate that he's receiving from the crowd. And he yeah. was and he was rallying against that word. And then he changed it. Friedle changed the question from like uh, vitriol to uh, energy. And then he answered it. Yeah. Like it, was, it was like, come on, like you're being pedantic at that point. But I mean, Kyrie's great at that, right? Um, but so he made the point. You, you better that, believe like, we're, we're going to do a section here on the Kyrie post-game press conference. Okay, because Because I was sitting yeah. front row and it was amazing. It, it was phenomenal. <laughs> but so hostility it was a vitriol. Hostility was the word. Which like, yeah, yeah, of course it was. He was like, it's not hostility. Like I've dealt with real hostility. Like, it is hostility. It's fine. There are degrees. That, that was not the hardest moment of your life, but it was still certainly hostility. It definitely was a hard Well, night. you know That's what? Fine. Like. It wasn't hostility coming from him. I mean, a little bit. He was like, oh, it's the bird was. to like a lot of people in he the crowd. He told someone to suck my fucking dick at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, so that's true. I think there was some hostility. <laughs> but like, it was definitely hostility coming from the Boston crowd. I mean, yeah, the, a lot insane. of those Boston fans just fucking hate Kyrie Irving. And we can talk about that and just be real about that. Like, I, I don't know why Kyrie, like, can you imagine if it was, if Kyrie had the same energy as Trey Young? with this like Trey Young just wants to talk shit constantly to everyone in the crowd did you see him at the end of the Cavs game where he was like (laughs) yeah well he did that but like and then at the end of it the crowd was like uh giving the team a standing ovation because this was a great Cavs season regardless of how it ended right and he just like waved goodbye to the Cavs fans like as they were cheering their team he's just the perfect villain whereas like Kyrie he he like weirdly has this thing and he was unbelievable today yeah. He was one of his best. I games honestly I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah. I tweeted that. I think it was his most complete game. Like he's had better scoring games. He's had better passing games, but between combining the passing and the scoring, and then also the defensive energy uh, together into one performance, I thought it was as good as I've ever seen Kyrie play in terms of a complete performance. <laughs> I mean, like he, he, I think that like he kind of wants to go the route of being the Trey Young style villain, but also like takes things just 10% too seriously uh, to be able to like fully embrace it. It's a weird, it, it's a weird energy. I feel like that. I don't know how to you know manage with him yet. Well, what, what I love is that I'm glad you, you, you use the word embrace because the, at the very end of that line of questioning he was getting from our friend, Nick, uh, he said at the end, you have to embrace the dark side. And I was like, <laughs> finally, good. Like, but don't 
don't sneak the middle. Fi- like, I mean, yeah, you do have to sneak the middle fingers because you can't give the finger. Uh, I don't know why he thought he'd yeah. get away. With- I mean, who cares? He's rich enough. He could pay the 50 K, but um, he should, he should be doing the same stuff. Trey Young is doing like, like wave yeah, on the Celtics fans and really embrace it instead of lashing back out. Like he, he is above it in that he's so good that it doesn't really matter what the Celtics fans say about him, especially if he wins. And he already has the championship. He already cared. Like Steve Nash did the line that he always did. of Like he said, the game winning shot in the finals, he's Olympia, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, they, they overplayed that. But yes, Kyrie Irving ha- already has accomplished pretty much everything that you could accomplish, except for carry a team that like clearly he's the one carrying the team to a championship. Like we all know that those were LeBron. Yeah. Uh, those are LeBron's teams, but Kyrie was great. Kyrie's a much better player now. Like Ky- if, if Kyrie and Katie, if the Nets go out and yeah. win the championship this year, like Kyrie, I think will have that crowning. I led a cha- I led a team to a championship moment in a way that I don't know if you could quite say it the same about the way he was in Cleveland, although he was incredible. Like, I don't want to downplay what he did in Cleveland. It's, but- it's weird, though, because, like, I, I don't know if people will give him credit for that. Like, will people want to degrade him or degrade Kevin Durant more for that if they win the title? Because- I mean, Durant's the better player, but I'll give Kyrie, like, after watching what Kyrie just did in the game I was at, like, I'm yeah. more than happy to give yeah. Kyrie the credit for leading that team to the title. He was... Oh, you know, me too. Like, like KD, yeah. KD draws over two, and then Kyrie just beats everybody else. And yeah. I think what makes Kyrie so special is that most of his buckets are tightly contested, well-guarded buckets. It's like, like KD is so great at just getting like a team will defend it well and he'll just kind of get to his spot and then he rises up and just nobody can guard it like Kyrie he's he's a big point guard but like he's still only six three or so so like he's shooting over really tight contests where he doesn't have any daylight and he never gets it it's so rare he ever gets to take an easy shot like what makes Katie so amazing is he's so big and he's such a great player that he can create easy shots for himself all the time so Kyrie's one of those guys that when he's on it's more exciting than pretty much anybody else in the game because you just can't believe that he's hitting the stuff he's hitting kind of in that Steph-esque mold, Trey Young-esque mold. Well, it's with Kevin Durant, it's the balance, I think. Like I've talked about this before, but like when you watch Kevin Durant in person and like when this first caught me was I saw him at SAC, the UCLA uh, gym where NBA players go to work out in the off season. And got to see him literally like five feet away from my face. Right. And you watch him getting guarded even by other NBA defenders and you watch him like plant on his left leg and then like push off and then like somehow land on his right leg and still have the balance to go up for this incredible, uh, like efficient shot where he's seven foot tall and shooting up over the top of anyone. It's, Unlike anything I've ever seen, he's just such a different kind of dude. With Kyrie, it's it's more the creativity uh, of how he goes about being able to do things because he doesn't have the seven foot height or whatever six ten height with a seven foot five wingspan like Kevin Durant has. Uh, he is, like you said, six foot three. He has to get by using all sorts of just insane, unbelievable off the bounce moves. And he was in his bag today. I mean, his footwork is absolutely outstanding. And just the way he thinks through beating guys like Marcus Smart, who is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA this year, uh, off the bounce, just like 
the way that he kind of thinks through those moments and reacts to like just even the slightest like hesitations in like for instance like Marcus Smart like dropping his hips just like no. 10% too much and Kyrie realizing that he's 10% too far on his back foot and then being able to hit the step back immediately and then being able to react when Marcus Smart way overplays the step back and then going left to right with a crossover and just getting past him it's the reactivity mixed with the creativity is just something that is so unique with Kyrie and he he's an incredibly special player um you know whatever you want to say about the vaccination stuff and he seems like he's yeah whatever whatever as a human being i mean i I don't i don't know i mean how to even react to some of what he says but in terms of the basketball i mean that guy is one of the most talented basketball players that has ever existed on planet earth yeah it's funny i covered Kyrie. was it three years ago yeah it's been yeah three three years since i covered Kyrie, and i actually didn't really enjoy his his play style that much when he was in boston I just mm-hmm. thought he was really wasteful with his movement and just cared too much about painting a like painting a picture and obsessed obsessed with his artistry and things that I like I think are really beautiful from an artistic perspective and I really love that but just I, I I felt like he was always more excited about making a beautiful shot rather than making the best shot and well and and, and with Kyrie in Boston too I think he was more about he wanted to prove that he could be the number one guy more so than it wasn't that because of what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I think it was his, his, I guess, basketball ethos was a little bit too fixated on his own individual craft, perfecting that than actually doing like what KD does really KD hits a bunch of boring shots like throughout the game. And then he has 40 points all of a sudden and he makes a few exciting plays. But but the, the point I was going to make is that I think Kyrie has turned the corner on that. And yeah. just a lot of the games I've watched this year, I just feel like he's a little bit more subtle. He's a little bit more direct. His physicality has gotten better. Like He is so powerful. And that really showed defensively in this game, where in the fourth quarter, his defense was unbelievable. And it was funny because Ime Odoka said they actually targeted him at the very end of the game. And that did work uh, on a few of those possessions. But there were a bunch of plays where Tatum was trying to score on him and he was poking the ball away, walling him off. Like Kyrie was aggressive at the point of attack. When guys were driving on him, he was really pushing them out of the lane with his arms out because, excuse me, because the Celtics got away with a lot of uh, hand checks in this game and they did call it a couple times, but Nash really made a point of that after the game. The Celtics were not only were they pushing, they were using two hands a lot of the time. And uh, it was impressive that Kyrie, who was, probably the smallest defender out there was doing a lot of his defending without having to do that. And that was really impressive, yeah. but his, he could take the contact to his chest and he, he, you know, he is, you can see it like his balance, his core power is as good as it gets for a guy, his size. And I was impressed that he locked in because defense was bad earlier. And we know Kyrie is a, one of the most inconsistent defenders that I've seen in my lifetime. Like the guy just doesn't care or is not moving half the time. And then, Every once in a while, he locks in, and you're like, this guy could be an MVP caliber player if he could do this on a consistent basis. Yeah, like I, I thought that last season, you know, even you know before this season, where I feel like it's hard to really know what to make of Kyrie's numbers because he was playing every other game and thus had kind of an intrinsic advantage compared to other NBA players. 
because he got more rest than they did. And the NBA season is a grind and it's really hard. Right. Um, but I thought even last season, like he had kind of peaked in a way that uh, was something new. Like he went, you know, over the course of 54 games, he went 50, 40, 90 on 27 points per game and six assists. Like w- what we saw from him last season was unbelievable. And I think that that level is sustained this year in such a, such a tangible way. Now uh, he is genuinely, I mean, he's, he's one of the best guards in the NBA, like no question sure. at this point. Um, th- there were times I thought, you know, in the Boston era, um, in the Cleveland era where there, there might've been a case for him being slightly overrated, uh, but there's not anymore. He is genuinely what, when he is on the court and playing, you know, if he plays 65 games this year, he's a no brainer, all NBA guy, I think. Like, it's just not even close. That, that's how good he is. That's the level he's at now. And I don't know how Boston won, but they did. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a gold mine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is Offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account nordvpn.com slash game theory guys i can't emphasize enough uh how much i use nord every day of my life uh nord is a fantastic sponsor for us so go support nord and it's a great product so nordvpn.com slash game theory
like Boston yeah. weathered the storm. Like we've spent 15 minutes talking about Kyrie now and Let, let's break the game Boston down. Won. Let's break the game down. Cause this game, yeah. what's so weird is the score makes sense in that the box score is like really even and all the totals, like it's almost exactly the same across the board. Um, yeah. you know, same number of shots, same free throw shooting, uh, I think same amount of steals, like pretty much same, like, eh, all the basic box score stats are pretty much the same. But the interesting thing is that Kyrie has 39, like Kyrie had pretty much a perfect offensive game. KD had a mediocre shooting night. Um, yeah. Nobody else really stood out. The Celtics had four guys with 20 points. And it was really interesting to see the dichotomy in the second unit between these two teams because Boston's strength the whole year has been they have a really good seven and a half man rotation. Derek White yep. has been a good offensive conduit. Grant Williams has been a really good floor spacer, and he's been good attacking from the corners. And Peyton Pritchard can get hot from three. So we knew they would have like a seven and a half man rotation going into the series. It pretty much played out exactly as I expected, except that Tatum sat for three minutes in the first quarter and then didn't sit again for the rest of the game, which was unbelievable. Um, right. It, and then he he didn't he only hit two shots. Uh, at, or I guess if you start from the last shot of the third quarter and then the last shot of the fourth quarter, those are the only two shots he hit over that entire period. But they were the ones that mattered. Um, but the point being is that the Celtics were ironically the team that was like almost a little bit top heavy in this game, while the Nets were the ones that got like Gordon Dragic and Nick Claxton being huge offensive contributors for them. And so it makes me wonder how the series plays out in that. We do know that if KD figures it out in game two, which I'm sure he will to a, a much stronger degree, he's Kevin Durant, he's the best guy in the world. Um, they like Is Brooklyn going to be the better team because they're going to have the depth advantage offensively, at least off the bench, and they're going to have the two most potent guys in the series? Well, and you know it's kind of silly to start the Celtics conversation this way, but I thought the most important guy in this game was Al Horford. Uh, he had 20 points and 15 rebounds. Uh, I thought that he absolutely in every way was kind of the, like the most important player that Boston uh, got in terms of playing above his level, right? Uh, Al Horford's a really good player. He's not a 20 and 15 guy, even against Nick Claxton, against Andre Drummond. Like he really took advantage of what those guys brought to the table, particularly on the glass, which is something that in the past we've had questions about with Al Horford in general. So for him to control the glass in the way that he did, I thought that that kind of changed the game in such a substantial way. Now, will he be able to continue that? I have my real skeptic, skeptical thoughts on that. And, you know, obviously, you know, without Robert Williams around, he's kind of going to need to. Uh, yeah. He's absolutely going to need to continue playing maybe not at a 20 and 15 level, but if he can go 15 and seven, like that's a, that's a huge output for Boston, I think in this series. So I thought Al Horford was absolutely uh, almost the most important player uh, for Boston in this game for them to get that performance from him. Th- that's what I worry about with sustainability out of the four guys that dropped 20 points. Can we get, Al Horford to do this on a regular basis uh, consistently for Boston uh, without Robert Williams around to consistently spell him in the way that uh, they might need. I I wouldn't expect him to average 20 a game for the playoffs, but I would, this is the thing I've been asking Al. I asked this question a lot. I think he gets annoyed by it, but Al every year, (laughs) 
paces himself in the regular season and then just looks like a completely different player in the postseason. He is yep. he, he he's jumping three inches higher. He's running way faster. He's he's banging. I think it's a big thing is Horford doesn't bang very much. He's like a ironic finesse, big, like anchor yeah, big yeah, man. Yeah. He he doesn't make a ton of contact because he's. I know he's mentioned this in the past. Like he's aware of the Knicks that you pile up over the course of the regular season that does wear you down. And so he's been really good about avoiding that, especially now that he's in his mid thirties. And he was like ferocious in this game. And I knew yeah. some. I knew that we were going to get playoff Al because he was. He's like, yeah, I do kind of pick it up a little bit, but I don't want to downplay what I do in the regular season. But I knew we were going to get it because one of the very first plays of the game, he makes a big play in transition gets a foul call and just walks right up to the crowd and just starts flexing. And usually that's like, that's like very un Al Horford move. Yeah. (laughs) Al loves to do like the, like the close flex where he like kind of puts his, like curls his hands up by his like chin and he's looking down at his pet, you know, his biceps kind of thing. He, that's like his signature move and he breaks it out every once in a blue moon when he really wants to set the tone. So the fact that he was doing that right away, you knew it was going to be a big night for him. And they needed it because Tice did not play well. And then Grant Williams had a pretty solid game, but he did, he is still not shooting well. He hasn't been shooting well for a little while. I think he went 0 for 4. So defense was pretty good. He moved the ball well, but just like he's not hitting a shot. So they were really, really counting on Horford to set the tone in the paint because they were able to take Andre Drummond out. Drummond didn't have a good game. Claxton had a very good game, and credit to him. But a lot of the time, Claxton was – it was basically um, – the perimeter defense would let the drive get to Horford. Horford had to step up. He would force the miss, and then Claxton was right there to clean it up. And and Horford yeah. did that too. Like Horford had six offensive rebounds. Tice had four. Like they had a lot more offensive rebounds than Brooklyn did. So Boston did really well with that too. But it's so hard to get a stop on Katie and Kyrie, and any second chance point really sticks out. Well, and here's so here's the thing with the Nets. I didn't love the fact that they played Drummond as much as they did. And I feel like Steve Nash is probably going to stop doing that as the season goes or as the series goes forward. Like my assumption on how this goes from here on out is that they play a lot of Nick Claxton, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, probably Bruce Brown and another guard or even like maybe two guards like Seth Curry and Goran Dragic. Like I think they're going to play pretty small the rest of the series. I think that might be like kind of begging for problems against Boston because then there's always going to be a guy to get switched on to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Uh, You know, you're always going to be able to get Seth Curry in an advantageous matchup or or one of Seth Curry or Goran Dragic almost because one of those guys is always going to be on the court. And then that's without even considering Kyrie, who, as you noted, Ime Yudoka said in the press conference, they targeted him a little bit late. I just don't know. It felt like Brooklyn needed this game more than Boston needed this game, I guess, to me. And the reason for that is that just looking at the schematic advantages on the court for as long as we think Jason Tatum can play at a level to where he is maybe not equal to Kevin Durant, but just 10% worse than Kevin Durant. He's on the Um, plane. Like it's the same. Yeah. Like if they're on the same plane, it feels like there are more schematic advantages for Boston to take advantage of 
than there are for Brooklyn to take advantage of because of how solid Boston is defensively, especially if we're getting this Al Horford interior presence that he showed in this game. Yeah, I think the big thing for Boston is I know I was talking about Boston's depth concern. I think it's more just like can the second unit give them uh, much scoring punch. But the big thing that we saw in crunch time for Boston was that uh, they they play made through like five different guys. So Derek yeah. White, he comes in late and he's running point guard with like three minutes left. They ran a couple plays through him. Marcus Smart was attacking in isolation over and over again. He got the yep. buckets. They gave you know Jalen Brown got some space so he could get downhill and he was phenomenal attacking late in this game and really it was Jalen coming in for Peyton Pritchard and um, did they take Tice out I think it was like Tice committed the foul on Durant they brought Smart and Brown back in and Brown was just attacking the rib over and over again that's what kind of saved them in this game so credit to Jalen Brown they probably only won the game because of him but um, they they just they have like four or five guys that can create shots for them because Horford obviously can do that too um and Brooklyn there's just nobody like Seth Curry with like his gravity creates opportunities especially when Durant was getting doubled they were doing a lot of plays I think in the second and third quarter where the Celtics were trying to figure out how they wanted to switch with Durant and they would have Seth come screen for him and then release and pop out and he was basically like Curry would get the ball with the defender trying to just like recover over to him and he could find ways to create his own look. But Dragic, like Dragic had one dime. He wasn't really creating a ton of looks for anybody else. No. He was scoring really well, but he wasn't really creating much. Um, and, you know, Seth, Seth Curry got a lot of assists as like that secondary guy where yep. he gets the ball because they, you know, like Duran or Kyrie draws a double, then he gets his ball with space and he's swinging it or he's driving and kicking a little bit. So Curry yeah. will get his dimes, but it really feels like the initiation is mostly coming from or only coming from Kyrie and KD while the Celtics can start their plays with four to maybe even five guys. And that it, it just like they're going to take away like they, they took away Tatum scoring in crunch time in this game, which is the biggest thing you want, just like how the Celtics did, did that with Durant. And Kyrie was the one answer basically for Brooklyn while Boston had four or five different answers. And that was enough. That was just enough for them to creep back into it, even with Kyrie having a few huge shots that he hit at the end of the game. Yeah, no, I think that you nailed that. Like you kind of nailed the way that this series is going to go. Like it's for Brooklyn to win. They need both Kyrie and Kevin Durant to go nuts on some level, right? Like, KD didn't go nuts today. He was solid. I think he had like 23 points or whatever. He missed some looks that, to be frank, he often kind of makes. But I just said that, like, I think this is probably the best game I've ever seen Kyrie Irving play 15 minutes ago. And I think that it's probably a bit unrealistic to expect Kyrie to play at that level every night. So and Kyrie's erratic. We know that like Kyrie, Kyrie definitely ebbs and flows a ton, kind of like Dame Lillard esque, which is why they need KD to step up. Cause like KD's the consistent rock and Kyrie's right. the one that gives you these huge explosive flashes. Right. So I think that like they need more than just one of those two to go nuts every game. They need both of them to really be on one because at the end of the day, they are the two that are just completely responsible for everything that Brooklyn is doing. Like 
Nick Claxton did a good job on the offensive glass and did a good job kind of short rolling and long rolling into dunks and, you know, potential lob opportunities. Right. Um, and did a good job like on the offensive glass in general, creating new opportunities. He had eight rebounds today, which was solid for him. But I, I just, it, it's hard without, it, it's just going to be hard for them. I think to be able to stop Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in this yeah. series because of the size that they're going to have to play with. Like they can't play big. If they play big, that involves them playing Andre Drummond. And that's a disaster for them. I think like they're, they have no chance if they play Drummond in the series. I agree. Um, yeah, if, like, they, if they could find like just something like a, you know, former all-star playmaker, elite <laughs> defender, if they could find something like that available to them to add to this rotation, and- then that's yeah, they the would wild card. Good. That's why. And like, by the way, but but you mentioned the offensive side. Uh, I was talking about Blake, like, by the way. Oh ahead. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they need the they need Ben Simmons's defense yeah. more than anything. Like they need the guy that can act as the release valve whenever Boston puts two on the ball when Katie and Kyrie are running ball screens. And then they need to be able to short roll Ben into that mid range area and either let him attack the basket where he has like an advantageous situation uh, because he's six foot 10 and a free show athlete, or he can make plays as a passer because we know he's an unbelievable passer, right? On top of that, defensively, he's just one less like disadvantageous player to have on the court uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. Like, I think there is a world where you can play Nick Claxton in the dunker spot, Ben Simmons as the screener for Kevin Durant and Kyrie with the other Kevin Durant and Kyrie on the weak side waiting for a ball reversal from Ben Simmons if they put two on the ball, right? Um, and then you have to hit Ben Simmons on the release valve in the short roll. So I, I think that they just need that extra defensive player out there and Ben can bring that. Like they just need one more guy, one more dude to be able to not be out there and just looking to get hunted because there are going to be lineups here for Brooklyn in crucial situations. And we saw it at the end of the game where realistically they have three guys that Boston can hunt. Like you can hunt all of Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Goran Dragic, Patty Mills. That's four guys. Oh, by the way, if Andre Drummond's out there, you can hunt him as well. So that's like four and a half, but I don't think they're really ever going to close with Drummond. So let's say four. If you have three of those guys out there, which I don't think is unrealistic in a lot of late game situations, if you have two of those guys out there, even it's just going to be really hard. And then we saw it late in the game on the final possession where they kind of overplayed everything because the reason that Ime Yudoka didn't call a timeout on that play was because he saw Jalen Brown had an advantageous matchup coming down the court where Goran Dragic had to pick him up in transition. Yeah. And because of that, Brooklyn had to overplay down to help Dragic in order to try and slow down Jalen. And that led to a ball reversal to Marcus Smart, which led to a heavy closeout onto Marcus Smart. He pump faked. And then Kevin Durant gets beat back door by Jason Tatum, who gets the easy layup to win it. There are just too many disadvantageous matchups out there for Brooklyn, I think, unless they get Ben Simmons back, which is why the Ben Simmons thing is such a question and why 
even though he hasn't played yet this year. And I've seen a lot of people say that it would be crazy to play Ben Simmons because they haven't played him at all with these lineups together once this year. But they already have a player that plays exactly the same way as you want Ben Simmons to play and Bruce Brown. Like, Yeah, but it's just different because he's bigger. He's so much bigger and so much better defensively. Yeah, better. yeah exactly. Like you, you, you kind of need that guy out there, I think, because if you have Bruce Brown out there, that's just like a total zero offensively uh, in a way that Ben doesn't necessarily have to be because like, no, I feel like teams don't really guard Bruce Brown to score on the short roll in the way that you kind of have to guard Ben because he's just so big and strong to score on the short roll around the rim. Well, the thing is, Brown's, Brown doesn't take that many threes, but he's been shooting the three ball pretty decently since yeah. he got moved into the starting lineup a couple months ago. He's shooting like 42% on a couple attempts a game. So yeah. he's like, he's, and he did have a nice three <coughs> in this game. So it makes me wonder could you space the floor with him? Because he's a and smart play them together. Yeah, he's a yeah. smart cutter. Because then, so you could do that with Curry or Claxton. Um, I mean, Durant was so good defending the rim for most of this game. Like, he was phenomenal at the rim most of this game. I feel like you could close games out like that. You don't have to close games out with Claxton. So, oh, and well, also and in, Simmons in can defense, defend the rim too. Yeah. Yeah, in defense, only possessions, right? Like, if a team, you know, if, the, if you're playing offense, defense late, you can go KD, Claxton, Ben Simmons, Bruce Brown late for a real defensive lineup and you can keep Kyrie out there and you have one guy to target, yeah. not three guys to target anymore. Like is what's happening late for them, for instance, in this game. So I, I, I know that he hasn't played yet this year and I know it's a risk, but just schematically, I think that they have to roll the dice on Ben Simmons if he's healthy enough to play. Yeah. He's so talented. Like even if he's a little lost, he's, I think he's fine. Uh, I, I would I would definitely go with it. And hey, if he doesn't look good, the good news is you can take him out of the game. It's not like a yeah. starting it's not like a starting pitcher where you have to like you're completely invested in it. You can see. So I would be shocked if he is looking good, but Ben Simmons at fifty percent, I think, is still their third ish best player anyway. He like yeah. Simmons is that good and he's in a perfect situation where he, he already has two elite perimeter playmakers around him. So yep. he can kind of just do his thing. He doesn't have to be the guy that he doesn't like that he's not good enough to be. No, I agree with you. Uh do you have anything else strong about this game that you need to get off your chest before we move on? <sighs> Let's see. I mean I was I was really impressed by the Celtics defensive game plan on Durant. They were really good at they would basically just shove Durant when he was off the ball. They would front yeah. him every time he tried to go. They would just like shove him in the face, basically. Yeah. And, and what was smart about it was they like they really got their angles down on the way they were fronting him, and that they would kind of like they would try to basically block him like they were offensive linemen, and it would kind of force whoever was screening for him to change the way they wanted the screen. And he was like bumping into people while he was going over the screen half the time, so it would slow everything down. He would be a little bit beat up. And so he would keep getting to that, you know, that 15 foot runner pull up that he has. And yeah, every yeah, single yeah. time he would go to that one or he would try to then spin back through the lane to get to a step back. Whoever was in his area would just contest. So they would you would see Durant going up for a shot and there were like three guys reaching out at him. And totally. they just they were so consistent doing that. And you, you could see one of the differences between these two teams is Brooklyn's contests were weak a lot of the time. And the Celtics are very disciplined with that. 
Um, that's something this organization has had for years. Going back to Stevens, he was really good at, at drilling that down. And obviously, a lot of these guys are Stevens, you know, Stevens players that they kind of learn how to defend under him. And so yeah. you just saw the discipline and the way they executed against Durant. That's why it, I mean Durant did have a good game. Like he did not have a bad game. He had a good game, but he still went nine for twenty four, which is phenomenal against Kevin Durant in the playoffs. And yeah. That's just because they were just so persistent on that. And so even though he was getting to his spots a lot of the time, it just like he never he never looked quite comfortable. And he kind of admitted that. Um, and so I'm excited to see how he counters because we know he will find a way to counter this, whether it's game two or game three. He's going to have a 40 point game coming up soon. You know, he's, he's going to do it. Um, but then the Celtics are going to find a way to counter back. And that's going to be interesting because they started the game with Tatum on him. It was like him and Tatum guarding each other the entire time each way. That was unbelievable. It was amazing to watch. Like that's the, yeah. That's where you can we, see we should talk about Jason before yeah, we, we will. Stop like, this. I, I think, I think yeah. like we know that Tatum is at that level now. And like, I think this game made it, you could, you could clearly see it there. And I guess, you know, at this point, the difference between Tatum and Durant is more like who can completely run the offense the entire time, including when the teams are doubling the ball of their hands and who can really finish in crunch time. Otherwise, like they're performing at a pretty much the same level right now. But so um, they, they took Tatum off of Durant. It seemed like for a lot of the second half, it had the bigs going on him. So Grant Williams was covering Durant initially before they would make the switch. Horford was doing it like they were really I think they were just trying to rough him up as much as they could throughout the game. Yeah. And so it's going to be interesting to see the accumulative effect of that when we get deeper into the series, because I, I can't remember if I said this before, but like you were saying the Nets needed this one more. No, I think the Celtics need these ones, these early ones as much as possible because Simmons is coming back soon. So they need to be up by two games by the time Simmons gets back or else they're in trouble because this look how tight it was without Simmons. And like, yeah, maybe Rob Williams comes back for game five or six, but Simmons is going to have a much bigger impact on the Nets than Williams is because like one, like Simmons is still a better player than Williams. So Williams had a great year, but also like Al Horford did such a good job filling in for yeah. Rob Williams while nobody is really doing what Simmons does for Brooklyn. So it's like, things yeah. are going to change drastically and Celt the Celtics need to run ahead of those. Let, let's finish on Jason Tatum cool. because before we move on to some of these other games here, uh, what an unbelievable player Jason Tatum is like I I just can't I, I can't get over how much he has developed and continues to add to his game every single season uh the passing is what stood out just from the first half in this game right his passing in this game was awesome he had eight assists obviously but he's just constantly able to make the right read and reaction uh in a way where earlier in his career he struggled and frankly, like this is something that these bigger wing scorers don't always develop, right? Like yeah. Kawhi, for as great as he is, never really developed into an instinctual high level passer. Uh, Kevin Durant has showcased that finally, really, over the course of the last like season and a half, I think. But it's never something where he's been elite at it necessarily. Jason is like, now, but yeah, go ahead. he is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like up until the last year and a half, he's really, really, uh, he's really improved at it, but it took until he was like 32 or whatever he is now. Jason Tatum's what? 20. What is he actually? He's not 19. He's, he's what? He's, 24. He is 19. Please don't say that. Uh, he is, <laughs> is he 24? He's 23, right? He just turned 23. 
23. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that he has figured out how to make the right reads to his teammates in 24. such an incredible way is it's such an incredible growth for such a young player that typically does not happen for these young wing creators this early. Yeah. I 24, by the way, my bad. Um, I never understood people that thought that Tatum didn't have what it takes to be a great player, an offensive centerpiece, a potential MVP. I've been saying it since his rookie year that he's on that track. And especially his second season, I think his second season made me think, like, maybe he won't quite be an MVP, but he's clearly going to be the best player on a contender. Um, because yeah. I like I, I mean I was covering that team, so I was around it every day and I watched every single second of it multiple times. But like I, I could see that he was trying to figure out how his his game fit into the NBA while his first year he kind of put his head down and just did his role. Yeah. And then we just saw the second half of his third season and just the way he did that transformation. And you could just see that he's someone that when he finally gets comfortable and gets his rhythm really, really kicks into a next level. And we have now seen every single year he has taken the next step on the ladder to superstardom in the second half of the season. Like this yep. year, it was his shots started to fall again, but he turned into uh, like he's not a he turned into one of the top star non-point guard wing playmakers. So like not yeah. Luca, not LeBron, but like in the, yeah. I guess the KD style playmaker of like you're a scorer, but the offense runs through you and you're playmaking from the high post or the pick and roll. And he, I think he's not at that level yet. I think he's kind of like at Kawhi's level now. Um, or close I, I think to- he's honestly, offensively, I think he's better. You think he's I think he's, I think he is like the, the level of shot making that he brings in addition to the passing. He's unbelievable. Kawhi, look, Jason Tatum's a really good defender. Kawhi is like an all-time, yeah. you know, wing stopper, right? But purely offensively, like, I, I think that he brings, he creates more problems for a defense now. Like, some of it with Kawhi is just like, okay, like, you can't stop it if he just gets to his spot because he's so strong, he's going to be able to get to the spot. With Jason, it's, he's getting stronger, He gets to his spots probably 85% as often as Kawhi does, but he makes the non, the unselfish read more often than Kawhi does. They're probably really close, right? Like at the end of the day, but offensively, this all is, but I'm not ready to put it on Kawhi yet just because it's Kawhi, but he's at that, he's at that station at this point offensively. Yeah. I mean, look, he was one of the seven best players in the league this year. Like I, I would say realistically, I would have voted him sixth for MVP behind uh you know Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, Luka Doncic and Devin Booker and I think there was a case for him as high as fourth and then I would have thrown Kevin Durant in there just because Kevin Durant missed a bunch of games and you know if Kevin Durant doesn't miss that many games he's certainly in that mix right yeah. I mean we're talking about a top 7 player in the league at this point I thought he was better than LeBron this year just straight up like yeah. that he's unbelievable LeBron's defense was was really gross but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Tatum. Tatum is clearly right now at ready to lead a champion, and the Celtics look like they could win the championship this year. I think it's pretty cut and try at this point. Um, Tatum, I just it just that Tatum has gotten so comfortable passing through double teams to the opposite corner, and that was a big thing. Is he two years ago figured out how to draw to and kick to the near side guy? It, <laughs> 
it wouldn't create that much good stuff. It wouldn't really move the ball, but it would at least allow him to get out, get like to just move the defense around and get it out. Last year, yeah. he started drawing doubles out without turning his back to the basket, passing over those, and then letting his team play four on three. Over the course of this year, it has been straight up like KD esque level, like driving through two defenders, drawing that center out or you know that weak side help guy out, and then just like throwing a skip pass from like the right elbow to the left corner. Yeah. We saw yeah. there was one play that blew my mind. I think Grant Williams got a wide open dunk off of it where he went and posted up KD. He like drew two guys down to the left corner. And then turned baseline and just whipped and he whipped a pass baseline to Grant. And that's hard because the backboard's right there. So you can't really throw the overhead pass. So you have to find some way to get that pass there without it getting picked off. And Grant was like, nobody was close to him. And then he just attacked the closeout. And I think it was like KD was standing in the paint and like didn't even bother to contest. And right. those looks that he's creating, like that is the MVP level kind of playmaking there. And right. so you cu- you couple that with um, like that it's MVP level for him because of how good of a score he is. Like obviously like Jokic is doing that kind of stuff on every single possession. Right. You know, it's not, you know, it's not close to that, but he's doing that. His pull up, like his perimeter pull up game has been great. Uh, now that he's kind of out of that early season funk and he also has simplified it a ton. And that's like the, that's like the Kawhi thing is like Kawhi Leonard just like dribbles t- in front of him. And then just like shoots as if like no one's in front of him and just hits the shot. Right. His game is like so simple and he just like doesn't feel the defender anymore. Tatum got really popular a couple of years ago because he was taking these like giant leaping step backs and all that kind of stuff. Now he does the Kawhi stuff. He just dribbles right in front of just right into the defender. It doesn't really care. It's much it more just subtle. doesn't matter. He conserves yeah. his energy, and that's why he's able to play forty four minutes of elite two way play against the best player in the world and win the game. And that's where you're seeing him really kind of refine down into the MVP level player. And so you combine that with all all those things. And when he's driving for fouls now, he's driving for fouls and passes. He's not driving for the shot. And you see the way that he will start on one elbow and he'll drive across the lane to get to the opposite side slot. And then he lowers his shoulder and forces his way all the way back across. He just he he just he just like tears his way through, picks up whatever defender yeah. he can on him, doesn't feel the contact anymore, just keeps fighting through it. And just the the strength and the willpower that he's grown into over the last couple of years, like those are the I think those are the three big things. The simplification of the perimeter game, the just like comfort with the passing vision, and just the strength to throw those overhead passes over and over again. And the way that he is just looking to just pick up as much contact as he can when he goes through the lane. And he's not trying to harden it. He's not trying to just like throw his arms into a defender to get the foul kind of thing. He's he's he, he's looking for the rack, but he's looking to see how many people can I take with me when I get to the rack. And yep. he's putting in performances like this every single night now. It's been incredible to watch. All right, we went longer on this game than I wanted to. I think that's a good place. 45 minutes on one game? That's pretty, yeah, that's a little long, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad we did it. Like, it was worth it, I think, because that was an unbelievable game. It's an anatomy of a classic, right? Like, that was true. genuinely one of the best NBA games I think I've ever watched, and it's worth it. Uh, we'll be back, and we will talk about the other game ones here in a second. Mm-hmm. 